Yeah, I listened to... There was another one I listened to when we first met. It was around the Chris Kelly one. Mm. Which, oh, uh, Chris, you know, that was on, obviously, a lot of people. What did you think there. of that? Great. Did you did you watch the Chris Kelly, uh, Teddy Daniels thing? Yeah, that's what I mean. Why, was he on the <laughs> podcast, too? No, I'm going to get him on. People, people think Nothing. I'm nuts for getting him on, but... Or we... Would you be you'd get you'd, would you be cool with Teddy coming in? I'm cool with anybody coming in. Yeah. So um, that was a weird one because yeah, I don't know if I told the story before. Oh, maybe I will. So um, I was in a really weird place. I think it was like episode ten or eleven that we did that, and I was so upset with like the division of everything, and I was like, okay, so what you have is you have an alpha male. You have two alpha males right? Who don't agree. And what they're doing is, is that Teddy Daniels is making videos and, and making comments about the Scranton times and he's doing it on social media. And then Chris Kelly is using ink by An the barrel newspaper. to respond <laughs> to Teddy Daniels, yeah. which I thought was nuts. So silly. Right. So Teddy eventually calls him out. Chris agrees to it. Right. So I call up my buddy, Mark Payne, who owns uh, they were they, the the meeting place was going to be Mark Payne's garage. I have no idea how he got involved in it, but it's right down the street. So I said I called up Mark and I was like, hey, man. I'm really concerned that this would be a shit show. And I think it's really important, though, that people hear whatever conversation they have. And I'm a crazy person. So why not have me do a podcast of the thing? Yeah, a genius idea. yeah. here, pull it up to you. Don't be, don't be afraid to have the microphone by you. Are we, are we on? Right oh, we're always, we're on. always on. We're always on. Oh, yeah. Is this the episode? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I packed up my stuff and I went down there on the day and I said, I told Mark, I said, you know, there's no, my, Chris Kelly's not going to respond to any of us about this. Yeah, I'm like, but ask Teddy if it's okay. And he asked Teddy and he goes, I didn't hear back from him. I said, okay, well, I'll just show up. And if, you know, he says, okay, okay. And if, and if he doesn't, he doesn't, and it's no big deal. So I got there an hour early. Teddy shows up and I'm like, Hey, my name's Mark. I'm like, we have this goofy podcast. And I'm like, but would you mind if we record it? Cause I think it's important that, you know, we hear about the differences that you guys have and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I have no problem with it whatsoever. I said, okay. I said, now if, if Chris comes in and says, I have a problem with it, we're just not going to do it. Yeah. And he goes, okay. So in, in the midst of all that, and then Chris shows up, it was so weird, man. It was such a weird environment of just having like these two monoliths. And yeah. then it, it, it would have been so much weirder though, if it was just a conversation in a parking lot. Yeah. It's like, it was like really weird. Like, like 50, in high 60 school, people show, show up. up to a fist fight or something, yeah. you know, you're not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 so, weird. so what you have is, is you have like 50 people who voted for someone mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you had Chris Kelly and like a dude. And I'm like, Oh, this is the, the it, it's off. Like there's not an equivalent amount of people here so i'm my, i knew like my job was to keep the peace a little bit too and to chris's uh what's the word credit yeah <laughs> <laughs> good thing we're here talking about finance yeah. so to chris's credit uh he came in I, I had it all set up he came in and uh and the first thing he goes was he goes oh it's, he goes it's a setup 
And I went, it's, it's not a setup. If you don't want to do it, we won't do it. Yeah. And he goes, well, we'll see how it goes. Like he was real smug about it. Right. So he sits down. But what eventually happens is, is like these two dudes have a conversation, which is important. And every time the crowd went crazy, you know, were you nervous for me a couple of times? No. No, I thought it went pretty smooth. Yeah, they're, because they're not bad people. Well, to be completely honest, like if 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 we didn't have that podcast style set up with microphones and video equipment and there wasn't a table with somebody to actually control this train wreck, it would have been like a schoolyard fight. Yeah. And it would have been and stupid. And what I didn't want is the paper to write something that didn't there was no evidence happened. And I didn't want Teddy to say things about what happened that didn't happen. Right. You know, here's a record of it. You know, let's let's move on. The interesting thing that happened was is 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 you know I I just wanted to be the arbiter. Um, but if I had if I was allowed to like ask questions, there was a lot I wanted to ask Chris. I bet. You oh, know? I'd ask. I'd have a lot of questions for for both of them. I don't. Well, the the big thing to me was when like Chris really wanted to know if Teddy went in the Capitol. Like that was his big thing. And to my credit, <laughs> when Teddy responded to the question and said, no, he did not go in the Capitol, Chris Kelly's like, why? And I remember for some reason I had a stroke of that genius. That was the best line. He goes, wait, are you asking him why he didn't commit a crime? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, and I'm like, no, like that's not cool. <laughs> so, but it was nice. Look, and, and here's the thing. It's, I, I think... I think from that, both of those guys have kind of reduced their rhetoric a bit. To, to, I, would, to a degree. I would I wouldn't know, but that's the general uh that's the general outcome of two people having to confront each other in person. And which is my thing is like you guys stop yelling at each other through a keyboard. Like yeah. go sit and have it out. Like if you don't agree, you don't agree, but at least you can respect each other's position and move the fuck on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So no, but that was that was a fun one. We wanted, I'd love to get involved in that shit again. I was terrified. I was terrified. You might not be able to see it. I was terrified. Oh, I could see it. I was like, we should, oh, we should have Chris on here. Chris Kelly would never do it. Yeah, he would. I don't think he would. Okay. I'm going to start a public campaign of shaming. I'm fine with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to do it Teddy Daniel style. You scared? Are you scared, Chris? <laughs> no, and I don't think he's. Do you look, love America? And here's the thing. Between those two gentlemen, right? There's probably ninety percent of the shit in the world they agree with. Yeah, you know, That's how it's most those people are. Yeah, I it's agree. those few little things that they don't agree on that has become just a just a a, a saber through the heart of whatever yeah. conversation is supposed to be. Yeah. Anyways, um, so Michael Cordero, I wanted to talk to you because you're involved in finance and investments. And I don't know anything about that. <laughs> and I'm a little concerned about what's going on in the world. Lots going on. Yeah. So uh, can you can you just give us real quick like your background so that, you know, I did this for Sam Faddis, but I had a I had the whole list and I was I knew all like I'm like, you were in the CIA. You did this. You did that. You did this. And he's like, check, 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 check. <laughs> I don't know because I don't know the financial world. Like, yeah. wh what do you have to go through to get to where you are right now? And where are you right now? Um. So I was, let's see where to start on that one. Anywhere you want, brother. You can, uh, you can start at the dinosaurs. Well, let, let's, so in college, um, I, I was a sophomore in college 
uh, I interned on Capitol Hill. And is that a place I'm not familiar with? This is well. <laughs> is that in D.C.? Not in its current state. <laughs> uh, were there as many walls around things back then? Yeah. No, 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 they were. They're fences. They're fences. <laughs> My bad. Uh, so in in I was majoring in political science. I was minoring in finance accounting. I had thought growing up, you know, my dad was an attorney. That makes sense. I'd like to argue, I guess, you know, they wear suits. Maybe I'll be a lawyer. Never put a ton of thought into it. And then this was the time where I sort of had to, had to think about it. And uh, financial crisis happens. So, so this is like 2008. Yep. So this is 2008. Which I didn't know anything about at that time either. I'm yeah. like, what's going on with this money so, stuff? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. so we're in the cafeteria at the University of Rochester friend of mine comes up to me and they used to have wall street journals like out on the table. Right. And, uh, he was like, do you know what's going on? And, uh, Lehman brothers had just failed. Mm. And like, he, so for uh, those who don't know what was Lehman brothers. So Lehman brothers was a bank that had been around since before the civil war. Uh, oh, I didn't know any of that started as a partnership, uh, which we can, we can talk about that because it's something that I think is important to sort of, what has happened and how finance has evolved right. started as a partnership eventually went public, which just means instead of the partners of the firm owning it wholly and being responsible for the decisions that the bank makes, it was now owned by the public partners get, you know, they get paid by those investors like publicly traded. Stock. Yes. Okay. Um, so it failed. There was uh, at that time a credit crisis. So banks and institutions had stopped lending to each other. Uh, they did not trust what was on the books at Lehman. They couldn't price it. They didn't understand what was uh, going on. Banks stopped lending to each other. That's what happens when people get scared, right? Okay, they, for, for an idiot like me, banks actually lend each other money. Yes. Okay. Th that's that's how a lot of businesses, not only banks but corporations, finance. They will do uh, repo. They're short term loans that they will they will do to each other for very cheap amounts. That's how, uh, especially then pre financial crisis, a lot of this stuff operated. So when that stopped, a lot of things froze up and locked and they started, they start, you know, people and organizations who had bad, unhealthy things on their balance sheets, right? Uh, they stopped, people stopped lending to them. And then very quickly, it could be lights out if you're highly leveraged, right? So if you're relying on debt to operate and the debt stops flowing, you're dead and it doesn't take that long. So. They had been investing in very risky real estate products, uh, among other things. Many of now I'm now I'm I'm an idiot. So when you say risky real estate, it, now to my understanding, it was it was one of them was home loans that in no way could people pay back. Yeah, but stay. Let's stay here for yeah. A second. Keep me on track. Stay Mike. here for a second. <laughs> okay. So so Lehman Brothers goes down, right? And now it's like we're going from a recession and a financial crisis. To like, oh, is money going to stop coming out of the ATMs? Because some, who's going to go down next? It made me so uncomfortable that I didn't understand how any of this worked, you know. And I'm majoring in political science, sort of writing papers or whatever, and I had no idea how any of this worked. I said something is off there. Right. Like I need to dive in. And so, in I, other words, like how did this happen? How could how could, how could it how happen? How could this happen? And I don't understand. I don't even understand any of the terminology being used number one. So I can't speak the language and all this jargon's getting thrown out as if people should know it and they don't. Right. Okay. And so I sort of dive in head first. Uh, after graduating at the University of Rochester, I went out and did a 
program at Cal Berkeley, took more finance and business courses. Uh, eventually, my I got hired by J.P. Morgan in the investment bank. They took money too, right? Berkeley. They didn't have. There was the only. Well, they didn't want to take Wells, it, right? But they had to, right? right? Because it, you know, the TARP money was being levied out to these banks. If somebody doesn't take it, it's like, well, we know why, right? And if ever, and if so, then it's just okay. Well, they took it. They're struggling. We're going to short them, you know, and then they're they they go down next. So wait a second. So like, if you explain shorting, yeah. So, um, shorting is simply put, it's betting that a stock price is going to go down. Okay, so you borrow the stock from somebody who owns it. Right, you go to a market maker. You say, I want to buy Lehman Brothers. You assume it's going to go down, right? So you go out, you put on this short, this trade. If it goes down, your your the value of your trade goes up. You're able to pay them back because because the stock that you borrowed off them has gone down substantially. You get the difference. Okay, but don't worry about the operational piece of it as much as just saying it's an instrument that allows you to bet that a stock is going down. Right. So you're just gonna you're betting that so you're hedging your bets on the failure. Or that it just no, goes you're down. You're not hedging. You're saying it will it will go down, not necessarily fail, but it will be lower tomorrow than it is today. That's that's all a short is, uh, and you do that through borrowing the stock from somebody who owns it, and then you get to when you put it back to whoever you lent, whoever you lent to, it's less, and you get to keep that difference. Is there a timeline on shorting a stock? So you pay on an ongoing basis. Yeah. So if this if it keeps going up. It becomes really expensive. It's mm-hmm. called a short squeeze. Okay. Um, and so, yes, you're paying for the right, essentially, to make that bet that it's going to go down. The longer it goes on, and the larger it is, the more you're, the more you're in on it. Okay. I don't understand how any of that works. That you can you can borrow it, money yeah. that goes down and Correct then you make me money if I'm wrong, on I'm that. I'm going to try and dumb it down because I know a little bit about this world, but not a lot. I actually had this conversation this morning with my son. Uh, we were talking about after the birds and the bees, you talk yeah, about finance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. No, we were talking about finances. And I said to him, I was like, listen, I, I know, I think just enough to be dangerous. Like I trade a little bit. Um, but, uh, shorting is a game I haven't started to play yet. Don't play it. There's no reason to. Right. Which is why I was, I was like, I'm going to ask, I don't like it. Basically what you're doing is, okay. For example, um, I own stock in Apple. Okay. You for some crazy, and I haven't, I'm sitting on it, waiting on it to go up. You, for some crazy reason, are like, I think it's going to go down. You come to me and be like, hey, I want to make a deal with you. If I'm wrong, you make money. If I'm right, and it's a gamble. It, it's just it, kind of a- It is a gamble. It's just, and you're just so, playing a game. So sometimes it helps to put numbers on it, and and this is not interesting necessarily to a podcast listener, but- That's not up to you to decide. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say it's valued at 100. Okay. It goes to 70. Okay. Right. You borrowed it at 100. You're paying them back at 70. I put 30 in my pocket. Oh. That's that's the sort of high level. That's that how that seems like really high risk gambling with oh, other it, people's money. Well, well, that's why these hedge funds go under. Yeah, and a lot. Of, I mean, you're, uh, you know, yeah. It, it's it's well. There's the other side of it too, though. That if the price goes up, then you can get really fucked. Uh, oh wait, can you come back to me? Yeah. Dan has his ma- master's degree in, in forensic accounting. I have a master's degree in accounting. I did work with forensic accounting and a long time ago, I got my series seven and stuff. So I did, oh, okay. it's like some day trading and I dabbled in it, but the shop got shut down and you know, I never went back. 
So just so you know, he has he's he has a basis of like you yeah, know, way beyond what we do. Sure. So the, in two thousand, so in two thousand eight, uh, uh, Lehman. Then you start working for J.P. Morgan. Yeah. So there's so I didn't graduate uh, till two thousand ten. So okay. so I but that really was when I was like, if you want, did that change your whole direction? Just it did it did really? Uh, and it and it was not like I was like, oh, I'm going to work on Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly it it prevented me from going to law school for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to know and understand how that worked because I felt if I had that foundational skill set, I could apply it to other things later in life. Okay. Second, a lot of people at that time, and this is all coming to roost, you know, currently started saying, well, I'm going to go to grad school. This job market is terrible and taking out loans and, and, and an immense amount of debt essentially to say, I'm not going to go into the job market right now. It stinks. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to grad school and let this all blow Play over. out. Yeah. The debt thing scared me. It continues to scare me. Uh, and it's another reason I do what I do today because we don't understand how to use debt either to our advantage. Uh, we don't know how to protect ourselves from it. And at that time, for whatever reason, it clicked to me like taking on $250,000, whatever law school costs, right? Uh, when I don't even know if I want to do it, seemed like it wasn't a good decision. No. And so uh, I applied to you know a lot of different firms. I was handing out my resume to anybody. I was getting coffee with people. JP Morgan put the offer across the table first, and that's where I, that's how I ended up there. Now, so, what, what was that experience like going into that? Incredible. Um, into that. Uh, it, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, but like, you know, it was crazy. I moved to New York, um, uh, actually moved in with a couple guys from Scranton, uh, who I didn't know very well, but they needed a roommate. So that was very helpful and sort of, you know, helped keep my head on my shoulders a little bit. But my first job was on the commodities team, uh, where I was in the operations group that was helping with the trading, uh, of oil and, and natural gas. So, so the energy team, and, uh, that has since been sort of disallowed where investment banks aren't trading in commodities quite the same way as they were at that time. Um, but that was my first job. So, you know, you had to learn how to operate a spreadsheet. You needed to learn how to get yelled at. You needed to deal with long hours. Um, you know, it, there was a lot that came with it. Maybe that wasn't in the official job description that I learned and, and took from it. Uh, and I was at JP Morgan for over four years where, where I had a couple different roles, but that was my first one. Well, now what's the environment there? Is it like Gordon Gecko or is it like? No, it's, you know, especially the, like the types of, t like there are sort of the Wall Street pricks for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good people too. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, I was in my twenties at a couple bucks in my pocket, you know, uh, the hangover didn't hurt me very much then. So we would be... <laughs> We were able to go out and yeah. wake up and it was fine, yeah. you know, and, and that's what it was. You know, I, I didn't save as much as I should have, um, but I was in, you know, I was 23 working. I had a good job with a good firm and I learned a ton every day. Um, so I loved it. Now, I also knew that I didn't want to do that, you know, when I was 45, hmm. um, but it was, you know, for me and what I needed to learn. Uh, it was the best place I could have started uh, in a lot of ways. Is that like kind of like trial by fire? Like get your feet wet? It is. And yeah, they do. So you do a training program as an analyst. I was in the investment bank analyst program. They do some training, but like you can't really replicate the speed and the stress and the sort of how it 
how it goes. Now it's not like the it's not like television or the movies where the phones are ringing and people yeah, are yelling. Wall Street right? shit. You like, were yeah. on the trading floor. Uh, yes, I, at okay. times. So the, my first role was in uh, actually an office downtown, and the trading floors are in Midtown. But yep. I was supporting the traders. Okay. So, but it is not like that because like we're clicking buttons. You know, yeah. like, yeah, you're yeah, on the yeah. phone, you're talking to clients, you're talking to counterparties, all that. But it's not like, you know, buzzards going off and all that. Right, like, yeah. it's a lot more civil than that, but it's no less uh, intense. I would say that. Well, because it's, it's probably changed over the years. Because, I mean, if you go back 20, 25 years ago, it was phones and paper. Right. And you're running papers. Literally. Ex- exactly. Now exactly. it's you're at a computer on the phone just it, doing your thing. Yeah. 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 And, and even sometimes the computer, you know, the the order can come in through uh, the trading platform and get filled by it automatically. Yeah, I was right. watching. I it was just, watching. It depends on the product. It depends what you're doing. I was yeah. watching a documentary uh, about uh, communication, and there was something about like they're. Ch- I don't know if you know this, but most of the internet is run by cables that are rolled across oceans. The ocean, yeah, yeah. So they're trying to do this new cable, and what it does is it increases it. It shortens the the speed by which trades are made. By like a few milliseconds, and just by a few milliseconds, it, it it's it's it means the world to how much more trades can happen and how much more things can happen in a faster time. Which I never thought about. Like, you know, if you're going from there's, eight milliseconds to four milliseconds, uh, so like we can do twice as much. There's a whole uh, industry built on what's called high frequency trading, uh, and that's that's what it's predicated upon: is who's got the fastest computers, and it's an arms race. Um, so like literally like it's an arms race. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, there's a book out there called flash boys by Michael Lewis. So Michael Lewis wrote liars poker, which was kind of like in the eighties, he unveiled a lot of what was going on at wall street. Uh, he wrote the big short, you know, oh, okay. uh, blind side. He, he's, yeah. a, he's a great writer. But anyway, this book flash boys sort of took the veil off high frequency trading and a team of sort of mavericks who were kind of wall street guys who started their own company called IEX to sort of even the playing field, so to speak. Uh, and those guys I actually met and interviewed with um, ended up moving to Philadelphia uh, because my wife despised New York. Uh, but, you know, maybe in a, a parallel life, that would have been somewhere I ended up. Oh, she up. hated New York? Despised it. She's from Dunmore originally. Yeah. Uh, we knew each but you other. you got her to move there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we, she, visit, she was in grad school in, in Philly, visited all the time. You know, we were really excited about it. She went. Uh, it didn't take long for her to realize this wasn't, it wasn't her cup of tea. And, um, so at that point we were still just dating and, and that was how I, I moved to Philadelphia and, and went to another firm called Brown Brothers Harriman. I mean, was she literally like this, this is terrible here. Yeah. What didn't she like? <laughs> Speed, like the hustle and the bustle? Uh, and- her job stunk too. Like she's a guidance counselor by trade. <gasps> she took a, New York City school school system. No, she worked in the Philly school district, but there she was she was a nanny while she was looking. So she was working for you know a woman on Park Avenue, you know there all day and night. She was getting paid well, but like yeah. that wasn't how she paid her life. New York experience. Yeah. yeah, I always say New York is one of those places that's great to go to, but after two nights, three days, it's great to go home. Yeah, it was like LA. Uh, I would me. agree with that today. Like yeah. going back. Yeah. Uh, at the, I, it's living the be- there, establishing a home there yeah. as a single 24 year old guy. That sounds fun. Yeah. It's the best place 
you could spend, you know, your early to mid twenties, yeah. but, but there's a shelf life. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, there's gotta be a high burnout rate too. I mean, yeah. Just, you can't go that hard that long. Yeah. So you go to Philly, right? And then, and then what, what brings you back here? So I'm assuming you went to Philly in what, 2013, 14. Um, so that was 2015. 2015. Uh, so I moved from sort of that investment banking trading world. And then I worked in interest rates and derivatives. So that's, <laughs> I have no idea what that is. So that's it's the trading of currencies, and so let's say, uh, you know, Pepsi has they have operations all over the world. They do not want if the Japanese yen becomes you know less valuable against the U.S. dollar than it is today, and they sell a lot of Pepsi over there, they better protect that right because that's actually going to hurt their revenue. And so companies are always trading in different currencies if they want to do business in that. Particular country, if they want to make sure, sort of whatever their investment there, their revenue is protected, they're always putting on trades to 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 help uh, to, to hedge. influence the market. They're trying to hedge currency risk. Yeah. So if I let's say I'm you know a company and I sell in the United Kingdom and I sell in the United States, right? But I I'm based here. Well, then I want to make sure that if I'm making all my money in the United Kingdom mm-hmm. and the pound is taking a dump, that my revenue isn't, I'm not losing that actual purchasing power when I transfer it over to dollars. It, it sounds more- Does that con- make sense to you? Yeah. Just, oh, okay. think of, just think of it, a dollar versus a British pound versus a euro versus the Japanese yen. Those are all just assets in their own way and they all have values against mm-hmm. one another. And so I have different uses for all of those depending on what my needs are and somebody's got to trade them and that's what JP Morgan did. Are, are you familiar with like exchange rates? Yeah, I'm, f- I'm familiar with all that. I just don't understand. Like, so when I'm having it in my head, when I'm when I'm wrapping, trying to wrap my head around is is like, I, it seems like they have just just people on staff who deal with that, or they hire companies to it's, just deal with it's, that. It's no different than having a lawyer on staff than having an HR director on staff. I guess you need but, somebody who can handle certain aspects of the company. And if you're doing international trade, it hurts. Uh, if 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 I'm if I'm if you come down to my business and you're purchasing something, okay, uh, and I it, only have rubles, and you only have rubles, <laughs> if right now pretty much every business in the country and in the world is raising their prices because of inflation, you have to. Everything is reactionary, but if you have some control over the ecosystem in which I do business, I don't have to change my prices. That's kind of what those companies are doing. They're influencing the exchange rate, the value of international currency, so that when they send their product over there, instead of selling an Arizona iced tea for 99 cents, they don't have to sell it for 89 cents and lose 10 cents. I think where I'm getting caught up or hung up is the control. Like, how do they control it? But you can influence it by trading. But JP Morgan's job as the investment bank in that scenario is to be the market maker. So they're saying, well, you want to buy. A hundred million yen. Yeah. Well, we better find sell- people who want to sell that, right? So a market maker's job is just buying and selling on behalf of others. It's connecting buyers and sellers, just like any other marketplace. So that's what that's what a foreign. I just get, I just get confused doing. on the currency. Like who's buying? So somebody's okay. There's always. I feel like an idiot, but you're but, overthinking it. Just okay. Maybe if, some, if you turn it into an iPhone for me. <laughs> If you if you want to buy iPhones, somebody needs to be selling it in the marketplace. Same thing with dollars. Isn't that like mafia stuff though? It's like laundering money. It's like oh, no, you're, you're, well, no, you're, no, no, no. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe this will help help him wrap his head around it. And I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, 
in, in the market, I was just telling Dan earlier some of my very wise investments I've made over the past couple of weeks and months. <laughs> Were they? I'm pretty impressed, and I think I'm going to follow Micah's lead. <laughs> I'll expl- I'll tell you what I did here in a minute. Um, but um, so the, the the value of a stock goes up and down depending on the market. And correct me where I'm wrong. I'm trying to explain to him the way I can wrap my head around it. If the value of a stock is currently a hundred dollars, but for my business interests, like to, to use like a Pepsi or Coca-Cola example, it's better for that stock to go down in value because it helps me. What I would do is I would essentially go to buy it from the marketplace at $99. And that then brings the value of that stock down. Is it basically what people are willing to buy it for? That's what influences the movement of that yeah. stock value. Yeah. I mean, that's really dumbing it down. Just think of it like any other marketplace, right? You, there's there's just, there is an entity who is bringing together buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, like- So an entity is like a middle person. Yeah, like a, it's yeah. a market maker. Uh, so you go, you go to the New York Stock Exchange to, if you want to buy that stock, well, you're, you're paying a little fee to the New York Stock Exchange because they're finding you a seller. Mm-hmm. So you can then own it, right? Um, it's the same thing. So basically, if you make videos for a living, you do a lot of other stuff, but you make videos for a living. Let's say like the value of a video that you might make is $10,000, okay? And and a company comes to you and says, I want you to make me this video. You say it's $10,000. They say, it's not in our budget. I'm only willing to pay you nine. Your video services are now worth $9,000. Yeah, they're just priced every second of every day Correct. in the financial markets. I mean, it moves so unbelievably quickly. How did, how did we survive before this? It, it's, this was always going on. If That's you yeah, but not not to the not to the degree, uh, not yeah. to 100%. the amount. Yes, hundred yes. percent. I mean, if you go but back like four hundred years, not to the degree. No, but I mean, yeah, but before computers, so, like how how so, are we doing? Like all these transactions, paper. dude. Before on paper, why do you think there was so many financial panics? Yeah. So like if, those ticker you, tapes, that's what that shit is. It's just all that stuff yeah, coming through all, all the time. That's, that's what that all. is. It's, it's just that those if, aren't anymore now. Now the stock market closes, right? Uh, for, foreign exchange markets don't because they're obviously, different time zones. Yeah, because in the world, everyone's trading at some point. But there's a there's a book uh, about Brown Brothers Harriman, which we haven't gotten to yet, the company I worked for. It's called Inside Money. It just came out in the last three months. And it takes you from the founding of the United States to today. And how the financial system evolved, and how that actually helped the country evolve the way it did. So and we're gonna goes, put, we're gonna put this on the screen right now. Could you ticker tapes? Yeah, it, it goes everywhere from the the railroad uh, booms and busts, the Great Depression, sort of how it all worked. And I think you know everyone today is so negative, and you know how like this doesn't something's not up to snuff, and uh, you know everything. And and a lot of times they're right. But if you look at history, eh, I don't it's know. Kind of, it's 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 context it's like is the important. Same, same book, different cover. Context is important, and you know when they were doing it on pen and paper, there was a lot more room for error. <laughs> I mean, I think and this, this I, I didn't realize it until probably I don't know, maybe over the past ten years, because uh, the financial world was just never a part of it; just wasn't part of my world. Yeah. Um, and I always thought it was fairly simple. It was, you know. I have a dollar, you have a product, let's trade. It's still that simple in many ways, but it's so, I mean, once you get into like printing money, like especially what we've seen over the past two years, printing money, the Fed, like it is so unbelievably convoluted, 
but at the end of the day, it's still actually so simple. It is. And, and part of what I'm doing, part of why I came to Alliance is we're not taught this. Simple is not easy, mm-hmm. right? But being sort of in a good place financially, like you just have to have a few principles in place. You need to have a framework that you operate under at all times as the environment and the business cycle changes. Uh, but it's not complicated. What Who makes it complicated uh, is one, financial media that I think is generally- Like, like Fox Business or shit like that? Yeah, or, I, I, I think they sort of lose the- I'm not for, saying Fox Business they, they specifically, the, but that that world. Yeah, they lose the forest through the trees or yeah. vice mm-hmm. versa. But yeah, they're, they're, they're just doing anything else, right? They're getting you to click. They're getting you to stay engaged. It's 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 a product. It's not news, right. uh, just like anything else. But then also, we're not taught it in our lives as children. We're not taught it as teenagers. We're not taught it as adults. And we're making major financial decisions with no, we don't understand the language. We don't know anything. And then what happens? Somebody fills the void. So somebody in the financial industry says, I'm really important because I can speak to you, you dummy. Let yeah. me just take care of this. Yeah. And then I don't, and then you don't understand how they're getting paid. You don't understand why they're putting you in what they're doing. And they say, we'll talk to you again in a year. Well, if, and, it's, so, if it's so important, why do you think that we don't have uh, the tools to understand all that? Because it has to come from. Well, I think education traditionally, and that was one of the things I talked about in the, you know my conversation here with Jill Murray. Oh, by the way, he's on the board. At Lackawanna. Yeah. And so Jill, Jill was here and Erica Barone Preachy was here. Yeah. But I asked them that question point blank because it's something like, you know, I want to Alliance to have a center for investor education where we can teach this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not, we're not product-based where we, we sort of sell you a process. And so I'll tell you everything I'm going to do in the first meeting before you ever become a client because I'm not getting paid by selling products. But in our industry, just like in anything in life, you need to understand incentives to understand why it works that way. So why does it work that way? Well, what's the incentive structure of most people who sell financial products? They get commissions based on a, something they give you. Right. They use fancy jargon because that makes them seem more valuable than they probably are. Or, or maybe uh, you, they at least want you to think that, right? Yeah. And then the education system, well, you know, we don't have enough time, uh, but why is any curriculum sort of inefficient? There's, there's hundreds of reasons, and I'm not an expert in that, but education on the whole, hasn't been set to help people make decisions so much as it's to like follow a rubric, right? Um, and so decision-making and behavior patterns are really what determine financial outcomes, not IQ, not knowledge, not how you take a test. And that's really the biggest misconception. I've, I, I've met people who I'm surprised they know how to wipe their ass and and they're really smart with with their money and investments and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Absolutely. Like I, and, I, and I look at them and I go, well, how the hell did you figure this out? Because they have a process, and uh, where we, how we think about money, it, it, you know, that's all psychology. So that's based on how you grew up, it, it, how, what were your traumatic experiences coming up, like, you know, how did your parents think about money or whoever raised you, and that's sort of what leads you to make a decision. If at no point you come up with a process on your own, and that's usually how it goes. So when people are like, you know you know, I've been investing since the 80s and I lost money in the stock market. Why? How is it? It's not possible. Yeah. It's not possible unless you made poor emotional based decisions or you didn't have a framework for making them. And so 
if you look at the stock market, the longer you zoom out, the more it's going up and to the right. But, you know, in the interim, it gets really messy and it gets really People crazy panic. just like yeah. it is now. And then, yeah. you know, you do, if you don't have that process in place, that framework, you're going to make mistakes. Can, can I tell you my process and you tell me if it's a good idea or a bad idea? Oh, this ought to be good. Uh Probably. Wait, no, wait, 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 I have like your Roth IRA and all of your typical, you know, few things like that. Yeah. But I like to play with my E-Trade account. It's almost like my adult video game. Uh, <laughs> and Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. I just play Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> so literally, I was telling Dan this earlier. Um, I don't have a ton of money in it, but like it's kind of fun. I just look at what's going on around the world. I don't short things. I just buy and sell based on are they going to go up? That's that's the extent of my knowledge when it comes to stocks. So I just watch what's happening around the world and I buy and sell based on that. As soon as I heard rumor that Elon Musk was going to buy Twitter that morning at like 930, I bought a ton of Twitter. I sold it three days later and I made like a I think like a 12 percent profit because I figured the deal was going to go south. Yeah, I, I just that was my guess when Russia invaded the Ukraine. What did I do? I sold about 50% of my stock and some things that I didn't love went heavy on Halliburton. <laughs> See, but that's, so that seems crazy, but there are I, like, I follow people on, I hate to say that I'm even on Twitter, but I follow people on Twitter who look at what like Man, Nancy Pelosi does. And then yeah, that's oh, how that's they like make a their, big thing. Yeah. That's, so yeah. let me show you one. I just went on my E-Trade account and screenshot it. There was a penny stock. I don't even know the name of this company to this day, but I did a little research it is some global European something something. And basically what this company does, they're a transport company. And a couple of days into the Russia-Ukraine situation, a light bulb came on in my head. It's a war zone. Ukraine doesn't have the infrastructure like the United States military has the infrastructure. They're going to have to get supplies from all over the world from wherever they are to the front lines. And that's what this company does. So I bought hundreds of shares of this penny stock. Marky, look at where it went from when I bought it to where it is now. That's a lot of pennies. Yeah. So is this wait, show him this. Is this good? Is this okay? That like That's a nice looking I chart. Bought, I bought down here. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice chart. And, I mean, that's so, over the course of 6 weeks, 7 weeks. So two two things I'd say. Um and I'll sell it here in probably 2 or 3 weeks. So one, there's the first thing you said is really important, right? that jumped out at me, which is it's like a video game. Yeah. So you which are is probably a bad way to handle it. <laughs> not if that's, but that's the, that is the uh, purpose of yeah. that account to you. Yes. Correct. Correct. Have at it. Now, if you're doing that with money that should be going to other places in your life. Correct. Then you have a problem, right? Because it's <laughs> I have not an addiction. It's not a, it's not a repeatable process. Right. And what happens eventually the one, the one wrong move, the one strikeout. Yeah, it, it's going to wipe out all of the good moves you made. And so I focus on having a repeatable process of singles and doubles, getting on base and avoiding those big misses, and then consistent small wins. Exactly, it's it's incremental. But 
I have I have plenty of clients who have what I call the mad money account. Yeah. Because it when there's a misalignment, which is they expect me to be doing that, or I tell them not to do that, which they enjoy, then how am I serving them as an advisor? Yeah. So what I always focus on is capital allocation. So you have X money coming in. Where is it going? Is that it to its highest and best use? Once we cover these, you know, three or four buckets that you have, have at it. Yeah. Right? Because we've covered everything we need to cover. So that's a very different approach than how I think what people think I do, which is uh, I got this, I got this tip on Halliburton, right? <laughs> so the second piece is Dick Cheney's coming back. The second piece is shoot your face off <laughs> with everything you just explained. So you made 12% on Twitter in a few days. Well, you're going to pay uh, close to, tw- you're going to pay over 25% in capital gains on all of that. So the, Man. Ta- the tax burden you're incurring on a regular basis. Plus the fees. Plus the trading fees. So I probably and only made like 2%. Right? So, so what's your net? And right. then the amount you put in for that, you're a successful guy outside of that. Right. What's the better ROI for you? Is well, it to be in front of the E-Trade account or that? The other stuff. However, like you said, this is your hobby. This is your right. Well, so I've, I've like I have a financial guy, uh, and and we he and I have had that ongoing conversation now for years. Um, you know, lavish is obviously our baby. You know, it's it. I always the way I would always communicate it to him is it's a retail store. Mm-hmm. If if I buy this widget for ten dollars, the typical market markup in a retail store is one hundred percent. So I sell it for twenty. Okay. In two weeks, I can double my money. So why would I invest it in something that I'm going to get 7% growth on over the next 18 months? You know, it's like, where is my money best used? Correct. And then over the course of having that conversation, it, we then hit a point where it was like, okay, but if you want to grow the business, it's good to have assets over here yeah. so that that asset can work for you in this way. You can use the bank and like, I kind of, like you said, like making that debt work for you. Yeah. And it's, it's diversification too. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, everything moves in cycles. So I want different cycles. If 100% of my assets are in a retail store, at some point, retail sales will go down. Right. Right. And so if I, it's just, do I want all my eggs in that basket? Again, Mm -hmm. it's not that complicated, right? It's just, but when you say you need to diversify your assets and make sure that your portfolio has multiple streams of income, like I can, I can out jargon anybody, but all we're saying is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. (laughs) Right. So do you like talking about this? About it. Do you really? Yeah. I don't understand it. So we're going to move on to conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, so here's kind of like what I'm interested in. So like over, I'm interested, I'm interested in all of this. That, I'm could, that could be the name of the no, no, show. No, no. So like, I'm, here's what I'm so interested in. So here's kind of what I'm interested in. Yeah, kind of what I'm interested in. Here's what I want to talk about. <laughs> Back well, to I, me like, now. Thanks so, for coming in, Mike. I know, but I know something I need to I know, say. Before now. you move on, before you move on from this. I, I am dead serious when I ask this. Um, I, I, like I said, I had this conversation with my son earlier. He's a senior in high school, graduating soon. Uh, math whiz, looking at probably going into accounting, something along those lines. Yeah. And I was trying to explain to him stocks and certain things that I don't. I have a weekend warrior knowledge of. I can wrap my head around it. I can have a conversation with somebody like yourself. Yeah. And not get terribly lost in the weeds. Do you ever do like a, hey, I'm going to do like a two hour like Q&A with a group of people and just, it's kind of like my intro to finance. Yeah. So I taught a class at Lackawanna this semester that was essentially, it was personal. It was called, it was, it was 210, but it, 
essentially it was just one-on-one. Like, yeah. What do you, what do I need to know to be out in the world as an adult and make decent decisions repeatedly? And that is, can I take it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and that is what we're focused on. I want to sort of go to high schools. I've spoke at yeah. chamber of commerce before different things where the goal is not like, do you really need to know how a short works or like, do you just have to have that general framework of like, what am I basing my decisions off of and why? And again, if you just make a lot of good decisions that are small in 10 or 20 years, that's going to, that's going to compound, right? Good decisions compound and knowledge compounds just like anything else. I I also think one of the things that there's a problem with is that, you know, I, I I don't know how old you are. I'll be 42. Uh, the, the, they, people need to have some sort of like quick joy. You know what I mean? So we live in this world where it's like everything that we want is at the push of a button. Yeah, you get it immediately. And I think it's really hard for people to plan for tomorrow. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't see a lot of people making I, I, me, especially, you know, 10 years from now, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Well, and it's especially difficult when you don't have a lot of excess. Yeah. If you're living paycheck to paycheck and you know, at the end of the year, the calendar year, you know, you do your taxes, maybe you get a return and you've got $500. Are you really going to take that and put it in an IRA? No, no, you're going to get an Xbox. Well, that's, but that's why the process is so important is it has to be operating uh, like, you know, the lights in the room or, you know, whatever, you know, all this equipment, right? Like we don't hear it. We don't really know it's there. We don't feel it, but it's, it's going to work when we listen to this later. So like your, your planning should be, sort of operating in an automated way. Yeah. Um, because if you get that $6,000 check, right, or you get that big bonus, like, no, it's we're humans, right? We're mm-hmm. designed to live for tomorrow. We are not going to operate against human nature consistently because that's insane. So instead, you need to build around behavior of human nature uh, and just let it happen in the background versus like, God, that's going to suck. I'm going to make all this money and then, you know, I'm going to cut the check to my IRA and not touch it for 30 years. Like that sounds terrible. Yeah. However, I will say this there, you know, in a lot of ways, what I'm doing is I am engaging somebody not for, to get 10% year over year. I'm not, you know, not to get this or whatever, but I, your head's going to hit the pillow easier knowing you're doing what you need to do for yourself and your family in the future state, whatever that looks like. And so if your head hits the pillar easier, then you are satisfying the need today. And that's something that people get sort of inherently. Like you kind of know when you're yeah. like a lot of people will say, I know I need to do something. I just don't know what. Yeah. Um, that's because there's, you know, that, that sort of sticks out. And I heard a, a, a thought process uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And it was kind of like at different stages of life, depending on your, you know, cost of living, your income, your, you know, you know, debt to income ratio, all that fun stuff. Uh, like, you know, in your 20s, you should be investing or using your money in one way versus your, you know, 40s versus your 60s. Yep. And I, you know, what I always kind of heard was, uh, you know, when you're younger, obviously you can take more risk. You know, so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like a like an IRA is going to be more low risk or uh, uh, more mid, mid to low uh, like a whole life policy is going to be probably super low risk. Um, and then, you know, obviously what I'm doing on E-Trade, you know, watching Halliburton and Twitter <laughs> and, you know, uh, weird European penny stocks. Yeah. Um, watching Stark Industries. That's obviously from what I've learned over the past year, 
is very high risk. <laughs> uh, because at one point I was up about 50% overall with my entire portfolio. And then for a while, about three or four months there, I was about 30, three or four months ago, I was about 35 to 40% below my initial investment. Yeah. I'm back up to about 10% over. Thank you, Halliburton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's very, again, like, what are you trying to do with different? I always like, we use the term, I use the term buckets. Yeah. So I should have a bucket. I can understand buckets. I have a, I, I understand. So buckets. think of it in terms of lines of defense, right? If you're right here. Uh, so the first bucket that should just be cash it should be liquid, right? If, uh, the, the boiler breaks, if I need the new roof, mm -hmm. if somebody gets sick, I can't work, whatever, like you should have that cash, right? So that's just preservation. Second bucket depends on everybody's situation, but it should be a mix of preservation and growth, right? You don't want it all in growth because you may need it. And then the third bucket that should be just absolute growth oriented. The younger you are, because to your point, you have time before you need it. But that game of preservation versus growth is really what it comes down to. And then my job is to determine sort of the investments that that fit uh, the goal that you have assigned it, right? And so the problem people get into is they invest money they may need in a year or like a down payment on a house or whatever it is, right? They invest that in the stock market. Well, you better have a five to 10 year time horizon if you're going to invest in stocks. Yeah. If you don't, then you've misaligned your time horizon with your risk profile. So all that you're doing is you're saying, if this is the time in which I may need it, here's how much risk I want to take. The less amount of time, um, the, the less risk you should take. And the more time you have, the more risk you should take. And it, it's not that much more complicated. Than that. Okay. I'm going to ask you about buckets. <laughs> <laughs> this is a segue, Dan. It's, what are you doing over there? I'm taking notes, but I don't know. Just you and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly doodling. Yeah. So I do accounting, quote unquote, for Mark here. Um, and watching you talk. Doesn't he to have him, to have income to do accounting? Man, is it just shit on me day? <laughs> is there a I, fucking stork over my head just shitting on me? I know your struggle with luck. this whole world of finance and stuff yeah. like that. And that's why I can see where it's like, oh, let's go back to like buckets <laughs> <laughs> explain asset <laughs> but that's interesting right so you're you, you can are, ask you can ask me questions you're a, yeah. but you're a deep thinker right you like i don't to, know about you like that. to you like to get into the weeds yeah what what i have seen in in our conversation here but also in prior conversations is very quickly on topics of finance you check out you're not interested because i don't because you're speaking latin to me exactly but there is a that is a pattern of behavior for whatever reason that that you have sort of adopted because it's just it's annoying you don't understand you know, it's like, it you it's know, confusing it's, you don't want to feel that and so you just say you know what I'm done it's like looking at a kid a baby whose nose is running and the parents won't f wipe it <laughs> like that to me like that's never what heard that, that one before. well I have crazy things that I say <laughs> but it it's it's I because I don't understand I feel stupid yeah and I and think because I feel stupid. I, I don't want to feel that way anymore. So I stop. And I think that well, I've that, tried to not feel stupid sure. and I feel stupider by not trying to feel. And stupid. I think that a lot of people, uh, they get themselves into situations where they feel intimidated talking about money. Right. If you, and if you look at prior generations, they never talked about their money. 
Like that was crazy. Yeah. Right? No money, no religion. Right. No Especially politics. like that. Yeah. Like that, that depression era baby, right? Like yeah. they came up, they did not talk about money and you saved business. it. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, and then as things get more complex, right. So you have all of a sudden, like when, you know, in the seventies, there wasn't $250,000 law school. Right. But the education we have around money hasn't changed, even as the complexity has ballooned. And so people feel intimidated and then they say, I, I'm not doing that. And then it's like kind of like, you know, the ostrich puts their head in the sand um, because they've never been given the tools to just understand you don't need to know how to short a stock. But understanding, you know, generally what a stock or a bond is, like that's a good that's a good thing to have. So Maybe maybe here's an easier way to 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 explain this. You listen to Ty, right? Ty Holmes. When we had Ty Holmes yeah, on, yeah. yeah. So one of the, we talked about literacy, right? I it, my mother was a, my mother was a teacher in West Grant, and I was talking the other night about literacy, and I said, how many people, how many kids do you think in the school district are are under the guise of illiterate? Right. And she said at least forty five percent. Oh my god. Yeah. I look at this as a financial illiteracy. Hundred percent. You know, it's, and a, I, it's exactly right. Yeah, it's exactly right. But and I still haven't. I'm really good. Like once I get it, like once I can see it in action or know what it like the mechanism of it. Yeah, like there's got to be something that that has to be relatable to me for me to understand. It, it's like when you take the, the the federal budget and break it down to a household income. Right. You're yeah. like, oh, this doesn't make any sense to be doing this. <laughs> right. So if there's Not a way a, for me to understand it. Yeah, I can get into it. I haven't found my way into this yet. Yeah. No, I, I, I think a lot of people haven't. One of the things that I try to get better at all the time is like, for what's going to click for you is going to be different for you, right? Exactly. But my skill set needs to be to get the same information across, even though that language may be different. And that's really hard, uh, but it's, you got, you but gotta, it's really interesting. But you got to uh, get to know the person. You do. And like, if, if you're meeting with me, uh, sort of like professionally, I'm probably talking if I'm doing a good job, I'm talking 10% of the time because I need to understand how you think before I do anything. Yeah. I, I think that my industry does a really b- bad job of that too. And that leads to communication. Yeah. So if you have a bad outcome because somebody just sticks you in a fund that you know gave them a commission or whatever it was, right? And then that goes down. Well, that, they're all bad. I'm done. I'm not doing that again. Yeah, just because you just got burnt. One dog bit you, so now all dogs are bad. Right. It's yeah. just, that's just human. You know, it's not, it's not a, it, that is a very rational thing to do, right? Say, I'm not going to do that again because I'm not going to touch the stove. I just got burned. All right. One night I'm going to, do you smoke cigars? Uh, Yeah. All right. One night I'm going to get you a cigar and you're going to try to, <laughs> we're going to try to push this boulder up the hill. About trying to understand. Think about it this way though. Like go back. He's the, he doesn't realize that after 42 years, like he's still trying and I still don't get it. Like I understand. I, you know what else I don't understand? Poker. I can't play poker. I don't understand. I don't understand finance, and I can't play poker. You can. The problem is, is you don't have enough interest in putting the time into learning it. There's a difference there. Well, you I, have to want to. Well, go back two years ago when you started having your like worldview awakening, when the whole world got <laughs> shut down and all this craziness. And people think I've lost my mind over the last two years. They think I have lost my mind, and you uh, might have. Uh, but go uh, back. Uh, a lot of people have. Yeah. But like, go back to what your worldview was and what you thought was reality. Okay, you think you know reality about money and how it works and how it moves around. I, I don't the think I, I still don't think I knew. But like, you thought you had a worldview of like this is how things work in America. This is how things work in the world. Sure. And now sure, where sure, you sure, are, sure. but but you had to pique your interest and then put in the effort to figure it out. 
It's no different. Well, so I so the weird thing about that is like I started getting interested in in like science and COVID and stuff because I was like I don't I don't want to die. I want to figure out like what's my risk. Well, mitigation. Do you want to die financially? I was getting to that. <laughs> I was getting to that, and it, and it, what what pisses me off is that like I can't I can't kind of look at it in the same way when it comes to finance, like how like investments, assets, like Dan will tell you, like he'll start talking to me about stuff and my face just goes, yeah. like, I just don't get it. Like I, cause I always think it's like money in, money out. That's it. And it's, it's way more than that. I think in like five slides, uh, you, you can, you can I'd have help you me sing in a different tune. All right. Well then I'm, I, I'm get, willing, I'm, what? I'm a thousand percent willing to do it. I'll bring my, I'll bring my best sort of five because a lot of people These are the visual best learners. five slides they're visual learners and i'll say here's what you need to know as a well, I'll general give you, i'll give you i'll give you a quick for instance it because you are a visual learner totally you talk about an ethereal concept and you're gone yeah well, and you then you need get to into, see it and then i think people get intimidated by math too even though yeah. more, you know more of my business is psychology in my opinion than yeah than, than, Isn't that crazy than it's people skills but it's, it's known yeah. as a sort of numbers thing right like or a lot of people are like, hey, can you do my taxes? Right. Like that's all number <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm not an accountant. I don't know anything. Like, I know as much as you do about that, right? Um I so I'm an accountant. I don't want to do your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. So here I I'm not gonna understand any of this, right? But what back to the buckets, right? Is are we looking at without you giving a forecast or an assessment? Are we looking at the possibility of those buckets being changed relatively soon? In other words, like those buckets and what you put into them and how you treated them, are they going to get changed for a lot of people as far as like investments or because I see, I don't know anything about 2008, but I see like there's parallels because the things that they said that were going to bust from 2008, whatever those numbers were on the graph, the numbers are higher now on the graph. Like what are the we housing, talking like about? Like, let's, let's just what say housing. Talking? Let's just say uh, gas prices, uh, food prices. Like, like people. I don't think a lot of people understand how the yeah. economy works. Agreed. So let's start a lot there. Let's start with just inflation. Prices okay. going up. Because that we, matters to what, everybody. What, okay. So for the idiots who don't know, what is inflation? So inflation is the uh, loss of purchasing power over a period of time. So when you hear your grandparents or your aunts and uncles say, well, when I was, you know, going to the store and it was 40 cents for milk and I bought my house for three grand, it's like, okay, well, let's remove inflation. It's about the same. Okay. Okay. So it is as, as more money enters the system, uh, you have the reduction of what that dollar, but where does the money come from? The federal the more reserve. money adding getting into the system. Yeah. Okay. So that okay. So that Federal Reserve money. So okay. The Federal Reserve thousands regulates of, and controls the flow of U.S. Okay. Dollars so into the system. thousands of years ago, or a thousand years ago, if I had X amount of silver, I could get a goat. Or if I had spices of certain kinds, I could get a goat. If that's like there's, if I was willing to give you the goat for correct. that. Correct. Right? It was we okay. were just we were just. Negotiated, but everything's wanna, backed up with something, right? Why? I don't know because I, I don't know how. Why you can is have, silver worth a goat? I don't know. I'm just saying. But that's the thing: a goat is tangibly worth something. 
you could eat it. You but can so is, it. But so is you're silver, tra- right? You're tra- you're, you're, yeah, if you melt it, if I have a use for it, if I don't, then right. I don't care. If I somebody want wants silver. something shiny. Yeah, I think. Okay, in today's world, it used to be backed against gold. Not for a long time. But okay, yeah. but but that was the thing it was. It was like, if if they ever call in our debts, we have this gold. Correct? Yes. Okay. Why isn't that the way it is now? And and what do we have in case anybody calls in our debts? Well, so the first question is, so Nixon, I believe it was 71, uh, he severed the, the tie to gold for the last time. Now, that had happened many times before in, the right. past in different forms, right? FDR did it uh, in his own way, too. But they severed it because there wasn't enough gold backing the amount of debt that had been created uh and so doesn't that mean like stop buying shit yeah but it also means so like think about it if if the if the if the amount of money in the system was finite that just leans to different problems Uh, so in other words if like we started the system with a hundred dollars well where's it going to go it's going to accrue to the high people it's just going to go back to a hundred dollars but it's going to accrue to the people at the top and there's not going to be enough money for commerce right Okay. So the, there's more people and there's more production of goods. The economy grows. You need more money to transact okay. at the same scale. So that's why it doesn't necessarily always grow. Very, it, you know, 2% a year is what they target for inflation. Now, fast forward to understand what's happening now, you need to go back to March of 2020. March 2020 happens. The, the market essentially had a seizure, right? Where they didn't know what was wrong with the patient. So the Fed pulled out the playbook in 2008. Which was to say, wasn't that a bad playbook from 2008 or was that a good playbook? It, it worked at the time. The problem was. But isn't this a different situation? I'm, it, I'm not, I'm it, not questioning it, it you. Worked, I'm questioning No, I know. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how to answer it. It, it worked. They, they saved the global economy in 2008 and 2009. They saved it. Uh, they never backed off sort of. It's like you give the kid candy to stop crying, right? Right. They never took the candy bowl back away. Just kept feeding until it. they tried to. Then in 2018, and the market freaked out, right? Because what happens when a kid gets used to eating candy for nine years, right? They just they're gonna be like, "What are you talking about? You're they gonna take it away now." <laughs> yeah, they they're because they they got all sorts of problems in the temper. So then you have so they tried to raise rates in 2018 to like sort of like normal us off normalize yeah. is the term that you would hear an economist use. So, but in 2020, you have still very, you have record low. But 2018 didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't able to do that. They sort of stopped. It was like rates were going up, but they were still incredibly low historically. Okay. 2020, uh, you know, there were signs the economy was slowing down. There was all sorts of things going on, but COVID happens and the markets go into a, just a complete, just shock. Right. So they, again, they said they took what they did in the financial pit. Uh, crisis. They took that playbook and then they, you know, they put it on steroids and they injected it into the system. That's what they they turned it into Bane from Batman. So you had the S and P 500 went down by 33% in March when everybody's like saying like, what's going on? It was back to its pre COVID level in June. Right. Now, part of that is uh, you have markets are forward looking, right? Economic data is backward looking. So that that's part of it. The other part of it is though they printed uh, in the last two years, out of the amount of dollars that are in circulation, 40% of it has been printed in the last two years. So, if, Isn't that bad? It's not good. It's not good. And so what happened- well, though, All it does is it just devalues the dollar. 
which means in order to normalize, you have to raise the cost of everything else. Said inversely, it raises asset prices. Right. So the cost of everything goes up because you have more dollars chasing the same amount of goods. Right. Now, simultaneous to printing 40% more in dollars, you shut down an economy and said, we can no longer produce X, Y, and Z, but A, B, and C are okay. So you had a supply shock that prevented fewer goods. So here's the example that I heard put best by an economist uh, that I that I like to, to read about. You have 10 apples, okay, in in January 2020. They are worth a dollar each. Okay. It's 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Yeah. So that's the that's the economic system. Okay. Right. And that's what's going on. So then you have uh, the economy shut down to prevent you know the spread of the disease. So now you have five apples. Okay. However, now we have uh, a dollar. Now we have uh, $14 into the system instead of 10. So you cut the supply down to five and you've raised it to a dollar 40 an apple. So now it's actually 280 an apple. Does that make sense? No, so, you said 10 apples and then you have five. I wonder how many other five cause we, apples. Because we can't produce them anymore. Oh, I thought they were already produced. Huh? Okay. Well, that's the economy. That was the amount okay. of goods and the amount of money. Now we cut the amount of goods being produced and we raise the amount of money. That's that's inflation. But how can but I don't I, I I don't understand how that see what I think see here's here's what I think it is, right? And this is just me like anecdotally saying this. Is I think when stuff like that happens, people don't understand why it happens. Yeah. And immediately they go like, fuck the government. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, for instance, right now there's a lot of people blaming, you know, Joe Biden for inflation. Who's that what, guy? What they have done, <laughs> you would can argue, isn't is Joe Spruce Street, right? Joe I Spruce. Think that, <laughs> I think that's his middle. I think that's his middle name. <laughs> uh, but but a lot hey, of me people, corn popper down there on uh, me Joe Biden Joe Spruce Street. <laughs> a lot of people are blaming what they have done for inflation. Now you can argue that certainly hasn't been helpful, but if you print forty percent more money than existed at any point in time in the country's history. You do that in less than two years and you shut down the amount of uh, factories and goods that can be produced. That's real inflation. What they're doing is a rounding error at best. And so that's where people don't understand the problem. Who's they with the rounding error? uh, The federal federal government. What they did in terms of how they're spending is not helpful because you're spending more in inflation. You're putting more money into the system. But that's a rounding error on the 40% of money that was printed by the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve operates independently from the federal government. Those aren't the same thing. It's a bank. It's a bank that regulates the financial system, but it is not managed. You know, it's overseen by Congress, but it's not managed. They don't, they're, they're operating independent of one another. So th- that 40% that was printed over the past two years, um, does that come into the economy by way of stimulus packages? Is that part of it? Because they're buying the government's debt, partly. What do you mean? So the Federal Reserve owns a lot of the Treasury's debt. Okay. Just to make it more confusing. No, that one I'll give so, you. That, okay, so they basically gave money to the federal government to purchase more of their debt. So, I mean, at the end of the day, correct me if I'm wrong, Like the Federal Reserve is kind of like the mob like they kind of they don't answer to anyone and they kind of pull the purse strings on the united states government yep um so part of that is the money's coming into the ecosystem by giving money to the federal government taking on their debt 
which gives them more power, but also they lend to the banks as well, correct? Like the correct. Federal Reserve will give money to the banks to then lend out to, to lend people. into the system. Yeah. It's crazy because when you really stop and think about it, it's like if if I make pens and my market calls for 100 pens a week, but I print 200 pens, the value of my pen has gone down by 50%. I understand that. Right, which is the problem that's happening. So the the value of, okay, go back to when we were shut down. I, this could be terrible. <laughs> but when <laughs> at, least we, he, at least he prefaced it unless yeah. I'm like I do. Well, here's the problem. I don't, I, I'm trying to, I know you better than he does, which means I think I can explain this in a way that might be a little bit, because he doesn't, hadn't had the time to get to know you better. Let me, hopefully, hopefully this will do it. I promise you ain't going to have it. So when the whole world shut down, uh, you would go to the grocery store and what happened to the price of like beef, shrimp, you know, like proteins went up. No, they went down. See, when the whole world first shut down, the price of meat went down because the restaurants were closed, which meant there was an over influx of meat in the oh, grocery the stores. stores. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so the price of meat that. goes down because there's too much of it and the market wants you to buy more of it uh, because of that. So that's what happened to me is I ate nothing but shrimp and steak for Isn't that how you got six gout months. I got the gout. Yeah, I got a gout flare up from it. It was nuts. Um but so so now there's I just this, put on I just put on fifteen pounds. Oh, it was I didn't great. Know, I said, I, I, said what the, I said, yeah. what the fuck is going on? He goes, I just can't stop eating shrimp. <laughs> it was so cheap. It's like it's like it's like four it's like I can get to eight pounds for like four bucks. It was amazing. But then so then you have an over regulation of that where now there's a shortage because it's there's been an influx of it in the market. Well, now you have to look at what's happening with it. You know, it, it's it's you can't just make a new cow every two weeks. It takes time. Well, and you you have the most complex supply chains where right. you know you're getting one part from Canada, one part from Mexico, one part from China. Right. Um, and so you like you know it's like a train's going down the track, right? Mm-hmm. If you stop the first. <laughs> Uh, the the locomotive right like what's happening to all of those other parts well right? and it's they're going to hit at the same force and that takes a while to clean up well i mean you look at uh so jack daniels you told me that used to be your drink of choice john daniels yeah okay um but so tennessee okay tennessee wasn't shut down the same way that other states were shut down they were still producing now granted they started producing it you know a decade ago because it takes time to produce that but they were still unloading barrels and, and and prepping this to be sent to market but they shut down i believe it was in ohio or indiana the glass, the glass factories shortage? yeah they shut down the glass factories where all of the bottles were made so there was a backup on jack daniels it's what happens with it's what's happening right now with baby formula yeah everything like there's you know the there was uh, some sort of uh, bacterial issue the factories are shut down. Just they F- can still just, make it other places. But there's just not enough for the market. Just FYI, uh, the baby formula factory, I forget who actually owns it. They were shut down for regulatory reasons. Yeah. Apparently, they did something goofy and screwy. Uh, they fixed it. They sent the FDA a letter, and the FDA did not respond for five weeks. Nice. Why does that happen? Why does, why does like, and then you you asking me, are you asking why the government is not efficient? Well, I mean, look, I mean, that's one of the, so why, why you guys are explaining all this to me, you know, it seems like any, anybody in your situation, like in March of 2020, when you're like, Hey, they're going to print all this goddamn money like this, 
I know one of two things is going to happen. Or are you like, I know one of 18 things that could happen. Um, the, the future is, is just a, uh, it's a, it's a probability distribution, right? Like there's just, there is a, this at, at times of stress and craziness, there's a wide distribution, right? Uh, if you look at like people's, uh, confidence in the future, like what it would, that it, what it would look like, the, the surveys would tell you, uh, that they were the highest the year before 9-11 and the year before the financial crisis. So usually, uh, like we're just take the opposite, right? Um, if you, when people are really, really bearish and everyone's negative and the world's going to hell in a handbasket, wherever, historically, that's been a good time to buy, right? Not well, yeah, always. Cause you want to buy shit to make the pain easier. Cause it's, well, it's cheap. Yeah. Right. It's cheap. There's right. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Buffett's line is pretty good. It's just, be fearful when people are greedy and be greedy when people are fearful. And so, you know, it's, it comes back to emotion as much as anything else, but historically, um, you know, market cycles are predicated by a shock, uh, and then panic. And then, you know, before the federal reserve, the reason it was created was because there was no game in town to prevent things from falling off an absolute cliff. So if you go back to the early 1900s, like so, going back to the founding, that you know Hamilton and all those guys were fighting over if if we wanted a national <laughs> we want a bank, bank, yeah, right. So this is like not a new argument about the pros and cons. But in nine in early 1900s, J- you need debt to borrow, right? Yeah. Okay. So, but J.P. Morgan stepped into a financial panic, like the guy, J.P. Morgan was okay, the, and he backstopped uh, banks from failing and saved the country from completely falling apart. And then everyone's like, you know what? We should probably have a bank to do that. So guy but, doesn't but, have to do it. But can't there be an argument to be made that like, cause, cause JP Morgan's doing really well. Can't there be an argument to be made that like, if we don't give them a parachute, it incentivizes. I'm talking about the person. Like JP, that's what, that's what I'm saying yeah. too. So his, so his, his generationally, what he started I mean, look, you, you were telling me in 2008, they didn't even need the money. They didn't want to take it, right? So if he stepped in to save it from falling apart, isn't that what's supposed to happen instead well, of now? Are you, are you going to bet that somebody does? Look, some look, shit happens. Well, you know, depression seems like it's depressions it, and panics back then were all like, you know, those were violent, right? People were starving. Murder rates are going up. And like, you know, there's, there's still, Certainly, that today seems pretty close but to like, today, Mike. <laughs> it, well, look at but if you're going to see over the next couple months, look yeah, at, we look are. At, but look at 1929, right? The employment rates up. Now, I'm not arguing 20. with you against it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like trying to be a dick about uh, this. I'm you know, just, there's bread lines and everything. Like it's just you having a backstop at at those times was certainly made sense. So was the federal, all, that's all. So I'm was saying. the Federal Reserve there for the Great Depression? Was it there? Yeah. So and, when and they, when did that start? Well, and they they didn't uh 1900s, I want to say it was like that was 1907 or 1930. Was the Federal Reserve? That was when they started after that panic. Who was the president that time? Did anybody know? Uh Roosevelt. Was it Roosevelt? Yeah. Or was it Ted. was it Hoover or somebody? Cuz one of them Hoover was later. Cuz one of them said that the Hoover was during the depression. Didn't one of them say that 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 the Federal Reserve was one of my greatest mistakes that I've ever made? I think one of I them said that. I don't know. So, I mean, to my point, though, we got out of whatever that was because 
of American ingenuity. Well, and, uh, and a war. A, no, 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 no. Like, J.P. Morgan, right? So J.P. Morgan came in and, and saved the other. I mean, in essence, that's what he did, right? He he stopped yeah. the country from falling apart, right? You well, know, isn't isn't? It, but do you want? You know, the most. Do you, I'm not arguing for or against. Yeah, it. I'm, I'm not just, either. Yeah. I'm, I think everything's pros and cons, right? Everything's yeah. trade offs. And so they said we should have an entity that exists that can prevent this from happening. And that's how the Federal Reserve started. I don't know. I just hear, I just, I look, Rand Paul said, or Ron Paul said it should go away. That's all I remember from Ron Paul's well, campaign. He did not yeah, like, here, here's he did not thing, like the Fed. Here's the thing it is it's, it's all just a game of percentages. Like everything is a game of percentages. Like I, 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 I somebody could say, listen, if you take this, if you take this vitamin, okay, you're, percentage of your chance of getting xyz illness is this but your chance of adverse reaction is this versus not taking it it's it's all cost benefit analysis like it it all just when phoenix I, look, when I, phoenix was diagnosed with cancer we had to give him certain things chemo destroys the human body yeah that's what it does it it destroys cancer cells but it takes other things along the way and so you have to make a calculated risk on are you going to do it? I didn't look. Here's the thing, man. I didn't know J.P. Morgan did that until you just told me. And then I'm like, that's the way it should be. That's the way. That's the way it should be. That I mean, that's just that's, that's just my safest thought. bet. What if they don't? What if we don't have somebody wealthy enough to right. backstop it? Right. Well, in the in the well, I mean, that's a, that's do another you thing too. How unbelievably wealthy somebody and, would and have do we, to be. And to do, do we? How, wait, and do so, we want okay. people that wealthy? So how wealthy? I don't know how, how Elon wealthy. Musk is trying to buy Twitter and people are losing their minds because one person shouldn't have that much control. And how it's much, just an app. But how much money did that guy have to have at the time? I mean, like comparatively, would it, would it be he'd trillions? Be, would it be, be like the Bezos type deals? Uh, you know, he was he was a like and now there was a there was a wealth inequality problem then, too, uh, where, you know, in many ways, that was a similar well, there was, there time. Was no, there was no uh I don't even think there was unions back then. Was well, they, they yeah. didn't. That was uh, Teddy Roosevelt was also the uh, sort of monopoly buster, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. uh, you can argue like how much he did or didn't do, but that was when they were everyone's like, all right, we have, you know, you had Rockefeller with Standard Oil, uh, you had J.P. Morgan, you had Carnegie, right, and all these people who just accumulated so much power and influence that they had they they started breaking them up. Um, oh wait, I remember I remember when the Federal Reserve started. Three of the dudes on the Titanic were on their way back to stop the Federal Reserve. That's what I remember. Who was it? Astor uh, and like two other people. I forget were on their I way don't know. back. I don't but, know that Yeah, story. that was 1912. So. so yeah, it was around 1912, 1913. I think that's when the Federal Reserve started. Yeah. Um, okay, so to, 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 to today, right? For the average normal everyday, well, abnormal uh, person who isn't... Uh, you know, running a bank or up there on that, like they see whatever's going on as like, there's a lot of people who are thinking doom and gloom. What, is there any parallels in history to this or is this, or is this on, is this, is this just new territory that has never. Yeah, no, it, I think history certainly rhymes. doesn't repeat itself, like, but it rhymes. Uh, the, that's a nice way to say it. I think it's a great yeah, way to say that's that. Not, that's not, that's not mine. Uh, uh, but, but, but Mike, to, Michael said that, that's his trademark. I think that's a well-known. <laughs> that's the well first known. time I heard it. You said it. Yeah. Uh, but so one 
that is being thrown around by certain people uh, in the the sort of investment community, macroeconomic community, is the 1930s. Uh, so coming out of an economic shock, lots of bad uh, macroeconomic headwinds facing us, uh, and then also you had the rise of an emerging power uh, in the world economically at that time being uh, the United Germany. States. Okay. I was going to say Germany. <laughs> uh, at that time being the United States and uh, and then the fading world power, which at that time was Great Britain. Now you have it in similar terms where you have China uh, theoretically sort of like, you know, on the upswing as a rising economic power and the United States declining. Uh, and, you know, over time, that's going to have to rectify itself in one form or another, right? The second one is the 1970s. And the 1970s, uh, was uh, runaway inflation. So way we're, you know, right now we're at seven, eight, you know, ish percent on inflation uh, year over year. That was, that was well over 14 at the time. In the seventies? Was yeah. that when the gas lines were yeah. like just crazy? Yeah. So there yeah. was the, um, there was the, I think it was the Yom Kippur war. Uh, that, what? That started uh, a gas, uh, or I'm sorry, an oil embargo. And so that led was to, that in Israel. Like, what's the Yom Kippur in the Middle East? Yeah. So, okay. um, not an expert in that war, but that was what caused an oil shock, and there was runaway inflation partially from Nixon uh, and the policies for the guns and butter. So they had to pay. Guns and butter was LBJ's big economic policy, where they were going to pay for <laughs> sort of everything in you know Vietnam. Yeah. And the Cold War, right? Yeah. And then they were going to do all their social programs. So that was really expensive. And Can you imagine that policy today? The guns and butter policy? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Very folksy. Uh, Build back so, better. So that was there. With butter. So so that was uh, that caused inflation. The stock market crashed uh, in, in the, the 70s. 70s it did? Yeah, interest, or, uh, interest rates had to go up, uh, but they, they, didn't re- they didn't know how to like really fight mm-hmm. it at that time. So it wasn't until early 80s, Paul Volcker comes in in the Federal Reserve. He raises interest rates up to like 20%. Was he the chairman? Yeah. He came in as a chairman? Yeah, and he said- To really put a stop to yeah, all he of was that like, He's like, away. this is nuts. We're stopping inflation no matter how bad it gets. And you got to give him a lot of credit because like it got painful in the early 80s. Yeah. But they stopped inflation and then the economy took off, right? In the, in the mid to late 80s into the 90s. So um, those are kind of the two uh, ones in terms of the United States. But in general, these debt cycles- um, and these longer term cycles, you know, you can you can find every, you know, 30 to 100 years, this type of thing is happening. And this is our version. Is, yeah, but is this the first is every country having this at different times? No, no, no. Different currently. No. no, no. So who's doing well? Um, so the way I've heard it described that was interesting to me was like you have Japan uh, and Europe that are kind of like economic senior citizens so well, they both have their own they just kind tri- of do stock market thing. type things uh, don't they well they're like yeah they do but yeah. just if you look at sort of them independently like they're kind of senior citizens they're sort of feeble there's not a lot of dynamic growth there their demographics aren't great so that's an aging population with not a lot of kids coming up behind it right you have the united states so we're sort of like even europe is like that too they don't have a lot of they don't, they don't have a lot of kids yeah they're t- sort of terrible economic environment there uh (laughs) not good at reproducing (laughs) 
Uh, well, it's the, honestly, the demographics is a really interesting thing, but it's like a really scary problem too. Um, but then you have us, I would say like the, the, the analogy would be like, we're sort of middle-aged, you know, very healthy, whatever. But like, you know, it's fair to say that starting to slow down, we're not going to be as dynamic economically as we were in the last 50 years. Uh, and then you have China who's kind of like this unpredictable, like preteen, like no one really knows what to make of it. Their system's different. Like, how's that going to work? No one knows. Uh, and that's kind of how you could look at the developed world um, in terms of the economy. Do you, do you do you do you think that China, like America is on the like whatever rah rah we thought we were in like the seventies and the eighties and like post World War Two Greatest Generation stuff like that manufacturing where do you how do you place us if that was like let's say that's a that's a hundred uh w w are we still at a hundred i think it's just like it's apples and oranges like coming out of the decades after world war ii no one could manufacture anything so of course we were the center of the manufacturing world right like oh because everything was everything everything like else they got were bombed, bombed yeah and like we came back all of our soldiers came back they built houses in the suburbs they had they created kids like the gi bill gave them access to mortgages so like we were like it was booming but a lot of that is post-world war ii now the thing that we have that you know this and now this is going into editorial uh, from sort of like economic history right the thing that we have is we have a system that historically has been just so resilient to shock both you know internal and external shocks like we can handle a trauma yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you know, the, what, what would scare me now is, is when you look around, uh, to your, you know, point when we were just messing around earlier, like no one's really listening to each other. Like, can we handle a shock like we have historically, but we still have the most dynamic capital markets, the most dynamic sort of resilient system. And I think at the end of the day, like that's what, what carries the day. And if you look at world history, like, autocratic regimes eventually collapse from within always. Um, now, a lot of countries and, and empires, they, they decline internally too, because they, like, if you look at Rome, a lot of that was overspending and not minding the store. So, um, so the fall of Rome was just like, eh, we'll just, we'll just spend uh, money on it. They were, well, they were just, they had expanded so much and there was so much they were, you know, maintaining and then there was infighting politically and it was just like, it was just like, you know, it was time. And that's, that's kind of how it, it it's, it's, it's a uh, sort of over a long period of time. And yeah, then the all follow Rome, Yeah. The follow, I mean, was the follow Rome like Friday, it was good and Saturday it was bad or. Uh, I think like if you look at the Soviet union, right, like they were kind of crumbling from within for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, you know, like overnight it was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, um, and so, <laughs> Turn like, off the lights. Well, th well, think about like a business. Like you could have a business that's struggling for yeah, and you're pulling years. the cash flow out of it when you shouldn't. You should be investing yeah, it back in exactly. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, this thing closed. It looks like it's overnight from the outside. From the inside, it's happening over a long time. Yeah, or like going back to that. Instant you die in an instant. You're dying for years, right? Or like you know, you eat unhealthy or you don't work right. out or whatever for thirty years. Like that's compounding. You may not see it, right? right? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't fit in a large anymore, right? Like, but that was going on for a while just because you didn't mm -hmm. notice. It. Nobody told me that. <laughs> so what you're saying is eating nothing but steak and shrimp for months on end <laughs> gives you gout. Good for your feet. 
Um, what? So, how do you? Are Are you on a personal note? Are you optimistic, pessimistic, ambivalent about I, what is going? Like watching and waiting, or how important is watching and waiting? Not making a decision at all yet. His regarding what? Anything. Do you want to get Big Macs? No, I'm kidding. What I always say, uh, this is from this guy, Morgan Housel, uh, you need to save like a pessimist and you need to invest like an optimist. And that's how I operate when it comes to the economy and investing. So in the short term, uh, you should think like a pessimist. In the long term, history tells you that things move in cycles and you know, everything from countries and empires and debt cycles and all of that. Um, but generally it's like the stock market, right? Like it doesn't go straight up. Like there's a lot of pain along the way, but it, it goes up and to the right if you zoom out. So like, you know, is that, what does that look like? I don't know, but I'm optimistic in the long term for sure. Um, I think, I think you have to be, if you look at and understand history. I don't, you just think like we might be in for a painful year or two or three or four i don't and maybe that doesn't even happen for 10 years i don't i think oh, i what think do you, what do you mean like i think 10 years from now it's it like oh it got shitty crazy coming. crazy things can go on for a really long time um i think that at some point there has to be uh, like a come to jesus like a reset whether that's don't say that it, so it's usually economic or it's it's a war or you know, like it's, Ooh, a, it's America a, it's loves a, those. It's a pandemic. What right? if it's that's, why, that's why you invest in Halliburton, guys? Uh, what if it's a, <laughs> what if it's a great reset? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't bring don't, it up. I don't, don't know what that means. Don't play but, into it. But I'm not open. Means? I'm not opening the box there. You don't know, know what that means? Oh, the guy wrote a book about it. I, I think Klaus Schwab. I think, Schwab yeah. I think that we as humans are really self centered. And we look at what's happening right in front of us as so profound and so important and so, you because know, this me. is the first time, right? Because yeah. this is the time period in which we uh, were oh. born and live, right? Right, And so we get all the benefits and we get all the sort of downside of that. But like zoom out, this was going on for thousands of years. Like this is all cyclical. Yeah. And so it doesn't bother me because like, you know, look at like that. We talked about the depression before. People got through it. People had birthday parties. People went back to work. Uh, they hey, had I think great people lives. People forget about stuff like that. Like they, they were living so much harder than we were. Stop, like so, I just tried to like put it into context, and then I, I stopped complaining and, and bitching, which is just makes you more of an optimist. I think it's look number one. That's an absolutely great uh, way to look at it, and I think it's hard. It's I think it's hard for people like me, who's like their whole life I've been fucking Eeyore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like not much of a tail anyway. <laughs> you know, and it and it's hard to I try to remain optimistic. And then I see like That doesn't mean, by the way, like I'm, you know, hunky dory the No, no, good. no. Um, if you're shitting shun sunshine, I'm really concerned about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And so like but it's just it's just context. I think context and understanding and understanding history, uh, we're not very good at it. And I don't think humans have ever been good at that. Right. Like because it's right in front of us. And if I lose my job today or, you know, I don't have enough gas in the car, like that's important. Right. But in the scheme, like in the scheme of humanity, mm. eh, it's not that important. It's happened before. It'll happen it's again. It's going to happen again, too. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, okay. So your dad was here earlier. 
right? <laughs> and uh, he was in politics. Is there a future for you in that? Or are you like, no, no. not a chance? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think um, there is there is certainly a role I'd want to play uh, locally um, to make it better. Not even like city council? No, it's terrible. <laughs> I live in, I live in Dunmore, thankfully. Dunmore oh. Council? Hey, isn't uh, who's I'm your mayor? Max Conway. Max, Max, he's the best. Yeah, good dude. Max is a great guy. Um, yeah, I'm actually an independent. Are you? Oh, so you can't vote in primaries. Uh, so done. I'm kind of boxed out in Dunmore. Are you? Are you? It's would you? Dunmore would time. you? Would you be in favor of an open primary in the state of Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think. I think. You know, and I don't want to get too into politics, but I think in general, it's hard to argue against open primaries and uh, you know. Straightening out gerrymandering. Uh, if you now, is that like redistricting? And, yeah, if yeah. you do those two things a little more straightforward, you you give a voice to the middle, and I think yeah. that most people are in the middle. Do you do you think that 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 they're not? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, no, I was just gonna say like with all the talk about voter suppression and all this you know craziness that's happened over the past two years, it occurred to me, you know, a few days ago, I can because I am an independent, I can only vote half as much as somebody who's a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. And and the problem is though, you like the primaries are where the action is because right. that's determining the final two. Yeah, and well, it's that's like, going wait, from these are my options. Right? Yeah, these are my options. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I, I think I think most people are in the middle. I think the parties um, are essentially functioning as cartels right now. So they are serving. The, okay, so when you say cartel, is there is it? There's, people there, think of it. I don't think they really know the definition of a cartel because I don't fair, think fair, fair, not a Mexican. Right. Cartel. I don't think it's. I don't. I don't think it's. Uh, uh, no, Columbia. it's. It's. They're. They're serving like. Like. So if you look at, look at the social media companies right now. Yeah. Right. Um, they began to serve their own interests, over the interests of the users, at some point, and then you know as the entity becomes bigger, uh, it becomes uh, self reliant and self sufficient where it has to protect itself. And its well-being over the sort of the, the broader population, yeah. right? So that entity is trying to protect itself, and that's why their data on teen suicide and you know wh- whatever else like is not—they're not like running and reporting that. That's staying internal. Um, but if you look at any entity, that's what it does. And right now, the two-party system uh, has become that, and. Um, you know that that's not a good that doesn't lead to good outcomes and and i think we're seeing we're seeing that so if the two if if the parties were stocks <laughs> you put them in buckets <laughs> <laughs> what would you uh, i'm not going down that road you won't you won't make it you can't make a, a science fiction prediction no is that outside of compliance it's no, that, that's just my own decision because it's why I'm trying to build a business. I'm going to piss half the people. Oh, off. no, I didn't. I, okay. <laughs> All right. So I, what, basically what I meant was like this two party system is like, should we should like the investment in it? Like what, what's the long term forecast for like what it is? Yeah, that might be that might be more what I yeah, meant. Yeah, I don't know. I think like like what's the know, 10 year when if it's like it's like right now we're careening towards a cliff. And there's two people in the driver's seat who'd rather get control of the wheel than drive than, off, than turn than, left, than stop the car. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Or turn around. And 
So what you're saying is both sides suck. <laughs> they well, all no, say, no, 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 I'll say it. No, no I mean, no. no one, no, no, they, no one has shown the fortitude, yeah, uh, to want to solve problems. Yeah. And they're fighting for their party, not for the people. And that's been going on for a while. I actually, so when I interned in, uh, in Congress, I had to write. I worked. You there. interned in Congress. That was what I was saying on Capitol Hill. So in. Oh, I thought you were just like immediately. So wait, wait. So, so like, what did you do there? I worked for a congressman. Uh, his name was Bill Schuster. He was a Republican from uh, Pennsylvania. So you got to sign a congressman. Uh, Altoona. Okay. Where so, carnies go to retire. <laughs> I went to Penn uh, State. I went to a Penn State party down there. I was like, this is a weird town. Yeah. Altoona's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a lot like Northeastern PA in some ways. Shh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to say uh, that. But so anyway, I worked there and what I wrote my term paper on was the rise of uh, how, and I, and I was probably the biggest understatement ever but how cable news was leading to a more partisan Congress because we were just, we were just going towards the, the, the extremes we were going of both to, sides. Because all they were doing was going to the super voters yeah. who would show up in primaries. Um, and then, and then that just led, you know, that would, that was sort of started. And then you, and then, think, you, and then mid, you neglect all the other people. Yeah. So I think like that was sort of the mid nineties um, when that really started. And obviously, you know, social media is like throwing, like gasoline on the fire with that hmm. um, and the internet in general. So I think that that, you know, if you solve that and people are, have to start going to cocktail parties and uh, talking to you, each you other, know, coffee and yeah, like you, you want to solve the problem, right? I mean, do you think that that, so oh wait, this is, I never knew this about you. This is so interesting. You wrote a, a term paper. Yeah. So you wrote like a 20 page paper and you worked in Congress full time. So you that saw was, this, that was the semester. So you saw this. It was early. Um, but I just saw where they were focused on their time and it wasn't towards like, you know, and, and, and Schuster was a good legislator and he was a great guy and he had a good career in, in Washington for sure. Like, I'm not saying anybody individually, I just saw like, you know, cable news was just so important because they were speaking to those bases in the beginning and, um, you know, they wanted to win their little games, uh, versus, you know, governing by in a bipartisan. So it's way. almost like a cable news proxy war. It, yeah. Now it's, you know, now it's even, you know, it's, well, now there's not, now they're not even trying now, to hide it. Now, now they, just, but now they have seven avenues instead of three cable news channels. They have all the social media, they have YouTube, they have direct email campaigns. They have all the data and the algorithms that come with that. So like, you know, they are back then they were fighting with sticks. They were fighting with sticks. Like now they have, they have real weapons. So did you, so when you were down there, did you see people who would behave much differently on camera than they would when the cameras are off? Is that what kind of like be like, hey, man, something's weird here? Um, I mean, I was an intern, so I wasn't. Yeah, but you can still observe. Yeah, I, I thought like I remember one time that there was a, a bill uh, in committee and I forget. I even forget if it was the Republicans or the Democrats that controlled the committee. They didn't like what the other side had done uh, in another committee. And so this bill that was like pretty important, my guy had worked on it substantially and we wanted it to get to the floor uh, and they kept it in committee like out of spite. And I was just like, what? That doesn't make sense. Like, you, guys you, made the, me mad. you guys are supposed to be the adults. Like, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and that was like, that was like a pretty Im- important um like, like I noticed, like that was like, hmm, something's off here. 
Yeah, this is not supposed to and, be. Supposed and like to be. you know, there's always there's always political fighting. And like again, looking at history, like there was guys after the Civil War, like they were beating each other up with canes, and yeah, like it, it was ugly. Well, Andrew Jackson was doing duels. I think uh, didn't mm-hmm. he get shot like eighteen times or something? Yeah. Tools? It's it's always been that it, way, and I mean, I think we should go back to that. I mean, yeah, I, I'm super pro going back to duels, but uh, <laughs> I think what's going to end up happening is I think it's going to split into three or four parties, maybe even five. And now I don't know if it'll happen in the next decade or two, but I think it 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 almost has to for the survival of the country. I think. You know, the entrenchment of the D's versus the R's, you're already starting to see it a little bit. You're starting to see like, you know, the old school Republicans, the 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 Mitt Romneys, the George Bushes, the, you know, and the, the McCain's and then this new wave of whatever Donald Trump brought in. It's like you're starting to, you started to see that split within the Republican Party. And then you look at the Democratic Party and you're kind of, you know, you're old school. You know, Bill Clinton and, you know, I think even through Obama a little bit, but I think Obama was kind of the crux of what started to split the Democrat Party. And now you have people that are Democrat socialists and then kind of the old school Democrats. And I think it's kind of you have those more, you know, far out there wings. And I think you you even see the infighting with the Republican Party. I mean, you know, it's I see it every day. Yeah. I mean, like you see like these people that are like, oh, we got a primary of this person, you know, and then you see it within the Democratic Party. And it's, you know, oh, well, this person isn't like a real progressive. You know, they're not, you know, and, you know, the Bernie Sanders versus the Joe Bidens. And, you know, you see all that happening and it, the 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 10, 15, 20 percent on the outsides on the, the, the of both parties at some point are going to have to break off. But. I agree with that. Um, I think that the 15 to 20% always existed. I think they've become just didn't, more and more extreme. And I also think that like, this is about tr- like, there's a, there's a tribalism, right? So human mm-hmm. nature is how we identify. Mm-hmm. And we used to identify as Americans, right? Or you had the church and you had, you know, civic organizations and you had done more football games and you had all these things, right? And you had better teams like the Scranton Knights. <laughs> in, in what? <laughs> well, let's talk about this. Uh, I couldn't laugh. I had, I had water in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what? Both, both were always better than that. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> but you had like, you had these identities and as those have gone down, um, you know, the, this, like we need to grab onto something yeah. and these institutions that have just kind of been like, you know, fallen by the wayside through their own fault and through the evolution of society and whatever. And so what people still, they still need that identity. Like we're still human. Mm-hmm. And so they're just grabbing on to these, these political identities where American hasn't, isn't coming first. Uh, and until, so what you're saying is a good campaign slogan would be like America first. <laughs> <laughs> no no but you're absolutely right though like in like i feel it all the time like I, a couple of days ago it's like i love election day like for me like i love being an american i've lived all over the world i love being an american i've seen other people do it, it, it for all of our faults we're still the greatest idea that ever happened and we're trying to perfect it but you know on that day i can't vote i don't have a home you know, so for me, when it, when it comes to politics, I don't have a team. Right. I'm kind of out there winging it by myself because, you know, it's like we've talked about this before. We've talked about like somebody going into politics as an independent. It's a, an unscalable mountain. 
Right. You don't have the finances. You don't have the group. You don't have the identity. You, all you have is yourself. Yeah. And that's the problem is, is I feel it, it almost feels like, you know, maybe like the Federal Reserve's become too strong. I don't know. But like the parties have become too yeah, strong. Yeah. That, and that like, was why I used that like cartel is like, mm-hmm. like if you're not with us, you're against us. Right. And, that, and that's it. Like we're not going to have a conversation about it. It's, or it, another way to say it is, if you keep talking about how bad West Democrats are, then we'll stop supporting your businesses. You know, there's a state senator that said that. I forget his name. You're really mad at him. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's while you guys were talking about that, like I just thought about it in my head. I like metaphors or analogies or anything like that. It seems like uh, this might sound stupid as shit, but it it seems as as simple as uh, a mom turns on the water and in her house to give the baby a bath and then goes outside and hates the neighbors so much that they just end up arguing for two hours <laughs> and her fucking house gets destroyed because she's more worried about arguing with the neighbor. Uh, I thought that was going to get darker. I thought, I, thought, I thought there was going to be a drowning baby. <laughs> no, no you don't argue. Always like, be with whoa, the baby. Okay. Let's not um, go that route. All right. You got to get out of here. Uh, two quick things. Yeah. Uh, how did you get involved at Lackawanna and what do you do there? At the college. So when I were, I worked at Brown Brothers, uh, Harriman and Philly, it's a pri- it's the oldest private bank in the country. They're still privately owned, managed. Um, and uh, it's a great firm. Loved it there. When we decided to move home, which was during all of this, so I came in 20. Um, you have Philly to come here, right? Is yeah. that what happened? Okay. Yeah. And, and, and part of it um, was I, I had started to get to know uh, the team at Alliance. Um, and part of it was because the minimums at Brown Brothers Harriman as a private bank were, it was $10 million in investable assets to get started, to get, to, to have an, yeah, to have a relationship where we were managing your money. That's, 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 that, a, that's a very large bucket. Is that like uh, Naomi Campbell being like, I don't leave my <laughs> well, house. Well, they don't need financial night. planning. It's just spend it if you want. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Sounds like a cushy but, job, but it was, a, it, it's such a good investment house and they've been around for 200 years and they stayed private and they stay out of the media and they do things right. Um, however, most of the people that I know and care about don't have $10 million in investable assets. Right. Right. So I would often have conversations with Alliance uh, if a need came up, somebody I knew, and I loved the way they did business, I loved the way they operated, um, and uh, eventually started having conversations with them. And part of what I loved about the idea of joining Alliance was focusing on this investor education that we talked about and giving people the tools they need and, and sort of leading with that value versus leading with product uh, and being able to choose the clients that I want to work with right? and, and, and be a business owner. And so that was why I did it. And, um, as part of my time with Alliance, you know, I was putting together presentations and I'm speaking and I was doing webinars and whatever. Uh, did you ever want to do that or did you just get thrown into it or did you offer to do that? What? Like be in the public, talk to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I enjoy it. Okay. Um, and I, I think that the message isn't being like, like it's not being done well and it's, it's a way for us to help. Um, and it's a way for us to stand out. Where we're saying, look, here's the information, right? Go with us, don't go with us, but here's the information. That will lead to good outcomes for us over time. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced of it, and that so that's what I'm doing. Uh, but then Lackawanna, uh, I was I knew Erica from uh, a uh, a board that we're on, and so I had known her uh, a little bit. And Jill Murray wrote an op-ed in the Times, and she said essentially 
stop with the inferiority complex in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Like we are as good as anywhere. We can be as good as anywhere. Like stop with the negative and let's focus on the positive. That was like the message. What was she, what was she speaking to in a roundabout way? She was just, 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 just the, 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 the tone of people's. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the, how the area frames itself. Yeah. Uh, was, the, was the, was the point of the app. I, I heard, I heard somebody say once, if everybody woke up tomorrow and the horse in the streets were lined in horse shit, people would buy taller boots. <laughs> that, and that, that's how they explain the mentality of Scranton to me. It's, where it's like, Oh, we're just all going to always getting screwed. Yeah, and that, that could be another episode as to like why and how and all that. It's, I would it, love it's to very, talk about it's very that. Very interesting. But, but what I when I read that, I emailed Erica and I said, you know, here's what I'm doing. I think you guys are taking a different approach to higher ed, which is its own problem and its mm-hmm. own cartel. Uh, and I think you're doing it differently. I, you know, what what Jill wrote, I couldn't agree more with. And if there's ever a role uh, to be an adjunct professor, I'd love to do it. And that was how it started. And then how do you, when did you start? Uh, so I taught my first class this semester. We just had finals week. Uh, two you, weeks have ago. you ever taught before? No. <laughs> no so was, were, you, were you scared I, shitless going in or what? It was interesting. So it was, um, I wasn't, I was excited. It was, it was like, you know, it's, it's, it was out of the comfort zone for sure. I was definitely nervous the first day and it was a group of student athletes. They were all football players and it was mandatory. <laughs> well, that this group, they're all going to kick my ass, but they had to pass the class to be eligible to be play. The, yeah sports eligible uh, yeah and so it was great it was it was the best professional experience i've ever had in your life yeah no shit yeah it was great uh, that's awesome and and you know they you know we had good conversations after i'm sure i'll stay in touch with someone like they were you know they were good kids and they they need those they need those tools okay so college kids they were were they at the starting point that i'm at or or or, or am i less one of everyone <laughs> That I meet with, I would say, is sixty-five percent of them has some version of a depreciating. Like, look, I don't know anything about this. Like, just so you know, I'm I'm really bad at. Like, yeah, everyone feels that way, and it's just because of a lack of exposure. Um, but it doesn't take long for it to click. It's just a matter of finding, like we were saying, finding that language for it to click. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're eighteen or or sixty. It really doesn't. So when I was what. When I went to LA and I I first started there, it was I, I didn't know shit about shit. Like film school never got you prepared for like your first job when you're like you know oh yeah. make all these things. But as soon as somebody showed me like here's what this is, here's what it goes to, here's what it's for, I, it stuff like that just starts clicking with me. I got to see it. Yeah, yeah. You, you well, you like you know it's like that experiential learning of getting your hands dirty is important and it doesn't Do matter. Do people shadow you? About. Can I come down to Alliance and just sit and watch you? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for so many reasons. <laughs> well, thanks for having me guys. I honestly, this yeah. was great and it was, it was great to meet you. Very good um, to meet you, man. Dan doesn't yeah. speak much unless, uh, what was the name of the book that you mentioned earlier? You said it was kind of like a history of, Oh, finance through American uh, history. In, inside money uh, is the book. And uh, can you can you tell me real quick about Alliance Wealth Investors or advisors where to where to get in touch with them? Do you guys have website? Email, yeah, so social? we have a website. I actually have a weekly blog. That's it. Yeah, Zachary Carabell. Um, so uh, I have a, I have a weekly email blog that I send to my clients and 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 people in my network to where I sort of take a complex topic. You know, uh, try to dilute it down for somebody like uh, me. Yeah, like so. The last one was called the Bear Necessities, and it was just about like what a bear market is and what to do in it. And I do that every week, 
and uh, we manage. Uh, we have over $375 million in assets under management that we, That's we, unbelievable. we manage on behalf of clients. We're headquartered right in downtown Scranton. You know, so would you get 37, $10 million people? What's that? Would you get 37, $10 million? No, it's a little people? different makeup than it used to be. <laughs> and that's the way we want it too. Um, but like, you know, the business and, and my partners are, they're great guys who also at some point made a decision that they wanted to do it their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to this conversation too, you know, we've put our flag in the ground uh, in Scranton, you know, just like you guys have where, you know, we, we could work from home or we can have an office, you know, anywhere and. Uh, you know, we're downtown and we're staying downtown and there's a reason for that. And how do people get in touch with you? Uh, so my, my email is just Mike at AllianceWealthAdvisors.com. Our, our website is AllianceWealthAdvisors.com. If you give us a Google um, and, and yeah, reach out. I think, you know, for people who've never had those types of conversations, they get intimidated. They think they're going to, you know, somebody's going to make them sign something. And, <laughs> you know, like most of my conversations are coffee or lunch or whatever. And, you know, I want to hear sort of your story, what keeps you up at night, and then do we have the resources that can help that? Uh, it really, it's it's that simple. Do you have fun? Oh yeah. Did you have fun? Tons. Did you think it was going to be a shit show, or what did you think was going to happen? No, this was great. This was great. Is it everything you? It was it- everything I dreamed. Okay. <laughs> Dan, you want to say it? Sure. What a week. What is that? That was the clothing at the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> oh, oh, that my was funny. God.